Hello and welcome to History on Trial, where we will take you through the important figures and events of the past and put them into context. This podcast aims to provide all sides of the story, bringing you the truth about some of history's most famous faces. Today, Sir Winston Churchill will be taking the stand. I will start off by addressing the current political and moral situation surrounding the Black Lives Matter movement. History deserves and needs to be told in full honesty and in full truth. No figure from the past is perfect, and we should teach this. We may herald them as heroes in society, but in the classroom we need to teach them as ordinary people, their flaws and their accomplishments alike. We should learn how we can replicate the triumphs of the past to ensure a better future, and learn to remember humanity's ugly history to preserve an equal future for all. Churchill has been in the news a lot lately due to the vandalism of his statue in London. Many have called out that Churchill is a shining example of British history, who led Britain through its darkest hour. However, I regret to inform you that you have been misinformed. Churchill is not as clear-cut as that. For while he was leading Britain through her darkest hour, he was leading many in the Empire into their darkest hour. Churchill is an accurate representation of British history, but the icon we have created in place of the real Churchill is not. The British education system has failed to tell you the full story surrounding the wartime leader and surrounding Britain itself. I will try to give you a broader, more accurate representation of Churchill the man, from which you can decide yourself how you feel and view him and his life after this. Many have declared that the destruction or damage of statues is an erasure of history, and yet they do not realise that history has already been erased. Our current education system does not adequately acknowledge the true history and legacy of the Empire and of those who supported it. The Department of Education provides a baseline title of what is to be taught, such as Ideas, Political Power, Industry and Empire, Britain 1745-1901, to which encapsulates many subjects like the transatlantic slave trade or the partition of India, as well as things like Britain's Industrial Revolution. But units are optional. This means that schools can choose to teach little, if any, Black, South Asian or any other minority history if they wish and they often don't. This is not to mention that there is very little and in most cases no LGBTQIA plus history taught in schools and despite it being possible for schools to legally teach this it is highly unlikely without any government intervention. This is especially unlikely due to the introduction of section 28 by Margaret Thatcher in 1988 which essentially banned the acceptance of homosexuality in schools leading to discrimination, bullying, suicide and more of LGBT youth. This was only remedied with the Equality Act of 2010, although this is not perfect, as Section 28 still has left a legacy in schools and society as a whole that anything in relation to the LGBTQ community is taboo and undesirable. In short, many schools can legally teach a history dominated by straight, white and often rich men, and that is not okay. Now Churchill. The wartime Prime Minister who is widely regarded as a hero who saved Britain from the clutches of Nazi Germany. I will take you through his achievements and efforts in World War II and as leader of the UK, and the darker hidden histories that surround him which are often swept away in favour of his wartime glory.
Britain's empire was ever expanding in the 19th century and continued well into the 20th and reached its height in the 1920s, overseeing over 412 million people by 1913 and controlling almost a quarter of the world's landmass by 1920. Some of the most notable colonies were that of India, Egypt, South Africa and many more. The empire began in the 15th century and officially ended in 1997 with the transfer of Hong Kong to China. However, the UK does still have what are now called British Overseas Territories, which are usually small land possessions across the globe. These include the Falkland Islands off the coast of Argentina, Aquitarian Dekelia on the island of Cyprus, British Antarctic Territory, as well as more islands in the Caribbean and both the Pacific and Indian Oceans. Winston Churchill was born Winston Leonard Spencer Churchill on the 30th of November 1874 in Oxfordshire, to a reasonably wealthy aristocratic family, those directly descended from the Dukes of Marlborough. In 1876, Churchill's paternal grandfather, John Spencer Churchill, was appointed Viceroy of Ireland, which was the title of the Chief Governor of the Colony. Churchill's father became his private secretary, meaning the family relocated to Dublin. Churchill was not very academically inclined as a child and was often poorly behaved in school, and thus moved schools multiple times. In 1888, aged 13, Churchill narrowly passed the entrance exam to attend Harrow School, a highly prestigious private school in the UK. Children who attend are usually from extremely welfare and or aristocratic families. Churchill was again poorly behaved here and his father wanted him to pursue a career in the military. So Churchill was placed in the army form for the last three years of his attendance there. After two unsuccessful attempts to attend the Royal Military Academy in Sandhurst, England, he was eventually accepted on his third try. After studying and eventually graduating, he joined the British Army and served in many places across the Empire. Later in his life, Churchill took up politics, becoming an MP for both the Liberal and Conservative parties. In 1940, Churchill was appointed Prime Minister after Neville Chamberlain resigned the position. Churchill did achieve much in the war and as leader of the UK, acting for many as the bedrock for the British morale. In 1940, Churchill is said to have made many tough decisions to further the war effort. One such example is the Siege of Calais, where he sacrificed around 4,000 men stationed at a garrison there in order to buy time for the rescue of hundreds of thousands of British troops from the beaches of Dunkirk. Here Churchill is making some of the toughest decisions a person could ever make, presented from a hard ethical problem. Do you sacrifice the lives of a few to save the lives of the many? It was also in 1940 when Churchill gave his extremely famous We Will Fight Them on the Beaches speech. This speech is widely regarded as one of Churchill's best and went down as a historic moment, boosting the morale of the country when it was quoted in newspapers and on the radio. Churchill is seen as the man who pushed Britain through the war, keeping the spirits of the British people up when almost all hope had gone in Britain's darkest hour, and thus helping to keep the fight going until the Allied powers eventual victory. In 1909, as Speaker of the House of Commons, Churchill stood and called for the introduction of the first national minimum wage. He called the free market on pay a serious national evil, and that people deserve a living wage for their utmost exertions. Therefore, many were finally guaranteed, in law, a reliable minimum wage, when many were poorly paid and thus in extreme poverty. This was one of the first steps towards improving the living conditions 
and the lives of the poor as a whole in the UK. Churchill also was instrumental in the introduction of the People's Budget of 1909-1910, a proposal to put higher taxes on the welfare and also fund new social programmes. As a result, once again, those in extreme poverty were given unprecedented relief by the government, and a step was taken, albeit a small one, to close the wealth gap between the classes. Churchill is also said to have been an important advocate of the National Insurance Act of 1911, which guaranteed some workers partly free healthcare subsidised by the government. This by no means helped the poor significantly, as only a small proportion of the population were afforded this luxury. But it did lay the foundations for the later reforms to the health service in the UK, so that every person, no matter their societal standing, was given access to healthcare. While First Lord of the Admiralty, Churchill introduced many reforms to the Navy, bettering working conditions and increasing their pay, as well as strengthening the British Navy as a whole by introducing the use of naval aircraft and increasing the size of the naval fleet. In World War II, Churchill, despite being adamantly anti-communist, sacrificed his beliefs by supporting the Soviet Union in order to help better the war movement for the good of Britain. From this came the Allied powers of the USSR, the USA and the UK, which combined defeated the Axis powers of World War II, and thus putting a stop to Hitler's regime. In 1954, with the Mines and Quarries Act, Churchill's government introduced several reforms to improve the health and safety of miners and improve the safety of active and disused mines and quarries in general. Also in 1955, Churchill's government extended housing standards by passing the Housing Repairs and Rent Act of 1955, which improved living standards and pushed landlords into providing adequate housing fit for human habitation. Churchill produced many pieces of literature across his lifetime, mostly non-fiction. In 1953, Churchill was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature for his many works, including Histories of Britain and the Second World War. Churchill also gained many awards as well as lots of recognition for his work. For example, he was elected a Fellow of the Royal Society in 1941. He was the first of only eight people to ever become an honorary citizen of the United States and received the most senior level of knighthood when he received the most noble order of the Garter in 1953, among many other achievements. In 2002, Churchill was voted the best Briton of all time in a poll by the BBC. He went up against the likes of William Shakespeare, Emmeline Pankhurst, Alan Turing and Boudicca. These are just some of the achievements of Churchill during his lifetime. From fighting against poverty to strengthening the military. However, Churchill had a darker side that must be heard equally. Churchill's actions, words and beliefs often affected countries and their peoples negatively. From the destruction and the murder of individuals to meddling in democratic elections of foreign countries. In his writings, Churchill talked of how he had burned villages to the ground in Afghanistan. He said that the Pashtuns of Afghanistan needed to recognise the superiority of race and said that all that resisted will be killed without quarter. Therefore, we see that Churchill believed that the Pashtuns were of a lower racial class than himself and thus has had no problem resorting to violence and destruction in order to subjugate them. During the Cold War, 
Churchill, despite having worked with the USSR in World War II, continued to despise communism and was paranoid of its effects. FBI documents from the time have revealed that this led him to suggest to the Americans that they should drop an atomic bomb on the Kremlin in 1947 in order to handle the balance of power and make the USSR a very easy problem. Here we see that Churchill's fear and paranoia of the left wing made him not only try to fight it in politics, but by starting a nuclear war. In 1944, the left-wing forces in Athens were instrumental in forcing the Nazis out and after the liberation, a right-wing government was installed. The British had previously deliberately tried to delay the liberation of Athens from the Nazis because they did not wish the left-wing groups to have been the ones to liberate the country. On the 2nd of December 1944, the British head of the Allied forces in Greece, under the guidance of Churchill, told all guerrilla forces at the time to disarm themselves unless they were allied with the right-wing government, meaning any communist, socialist and or otherwise left-wing groups were essentially told that they could no longer have the right to political assembly or protest because of their political beliefs. The following day, around 200,000 people took to the streets to protest from many left-wing groups, such as the ELAS, a renowned communist organisation, and the EAM, the main driving force against the Nazis, mainly supported by the Communist Party of Greece, but also the left-wing groups. Churchill referred to these groups as miserable bandite. The British armour and the Greek police force then, again under the guidance of Churchill, opened fire, leaving at least 28 protesters dead and around 148 protesters injured. Several days of violence ensued between the British armour and Greek police and the protesters. Here we see Churchill's hatred of the left wing once again. He hated communism so much that he would allow them to be stripped of their political rights and eventually their lives simply because he did not agree with them. And even when they had driven Hitler out of Greece. Churchill expresses concerns over the resistance in Cuba against the Spanish government on the island in the late 19th century. He is quoted in saying that Cuba could become another black republic. The other black republic he is talking about is Haiti, the first country to abolish slavery due to a slave revolution. Churchill wanted Spain to keep colonial control of Cuba in order to ensure Britain would have more favourable relations with the island as a Spanish colony. He did not believe the Cuban people would be able to create a stable republic, especially when not under the rule of whites. After there was civil rest, unrest in Egypt as a result of colonial rule in the 1950s, Evelyn Shukra, the private secretary of Sir Anthony Eden, said that Churchill had told him to tell them that if we have any more of their cheek, we will set the Jews on them and drive them into the gutter from which they should never have emerged. This once again shows Churchill dis Churchill's disregard for the wishes of the Egyptian people, uh, people in favour of his own colonialist beliefs, and once more, he is shown to favour the use of violence to enact their subjugation. Throughout his career, Churchill expressed a dislike for Ireland and its people, even stating that, We have always found the Irish a bit odd. They refuse to be English. At the time, Ireland was a colony of the British Empire and was not spared any concessions for their proximity to England. Churchill was instrumental in the deployment of the Black and Tans into Ireland during the Irish War of Independence. These were a regiment of constables who set about quashing the rebellion through extreme brutality and cruelty to Irish citizens, 
called reprisals. They burned homes, businesses, farms and more, looted shops, attacked buildings with gunfire and grenades, killed and hurt citizens. They are even thought to have abducted and murdered a Roman Catholic priest, all in the name of Churchill, because he did not want Ireland to govern itself. If this wasn't enough, he also created the Auxiliaries, who committed similar atrocities in the name of Churchill and colonial rule. He even tried to capture Irish bases by force in 1939, despite them being independent since 1937 and gaining their military bases back from the UK in 1938. These are just some of the acts of Churchill against the Irish people. We are often told of the horrible nature of the Nazi concentration camps in World War II, but many don't know that Hitler was not alone in committing atrocities like these. The British did too. In Kenya, the British had been treating the Kenyans as lesser peoples and subjected them to many horrors and injustices, including forcibly removing the native Kenyans off of their land throughout the duration of Kenya's British occupation in order to allow white settlers to exploit everything the fertile agricultural land had to offer. However, in 1952, the Mau Mau uprising began when the Kenyans began to fight back. These fighters were mostly from the Kikuyu tribe but there were also many from the Embu and Meru tribes. Many of the rebels and suspected rebels were detained in camps, where they were forced to do manual labour, were left in horrible, unsanitary conditions, many were sexually assaulted and beaten, they were tortured and forced to confess to their part in the rebellion, and more. Some of the torture methods included castration, boring holes in prisoners' eardrums, forcing pins into their fingernails, squashing testicles between metal rods, pouring paraffin over prisoners and setting them alight, among many other war crimes, all under the leadership of Churchill's government. The detainees were marked either white, grey or black depending on their involvement and their willingness to renounce their beliefs in the rebellion. When they were transported between these labour camps, they were left without food and water for days, among other cruel treatments in relation to these camps. The Kenyan Human Rights Commission has put the number of people who were murdered, tortured or maimed at at least 90,000. Many were killed or died as a result of the conditions in the camps. The official minimum death toll is said to be at least 11,000, including the mass execution of a thousand and ninety individuals carried out by the British government under the charge of Churchill at the end of the war. However, the true figure of dead is thought to be as high as 25,000. This is just a small proportion of the injustices enacted on the Kenyan people under Churchill. India was one of the worst treated places by Churchill in the empire. In 1943, Bengal had produced a better than average agricultural yield for the year, but the British government under Churchill decided to export much of it to be stored to feed Europeans after they were liberated. This left little food for the people of Bengal and surrounding areas. The people began to starve and many people became badly malnourished. The Indian people asked for aid, but Churchill said no, despite their agricultural produce still being in storage for Europeans at a later date. Many men, women and children began to die of starvation. Many died of diseases like malaria, caused and exacerbated by their malnutrition. Families became homeless. The conditions were unsanitary. Bodies littered the streets. At least 170,000 tonnes of wheat headed for storage bypassed India on Australian ships. 
but Churchill did nothing to divert the ships to feed the starving peoples. Both Canadian and American offers to help feed the people in the famine were turned down by Churchill. Churchill also forbade India from using its own sterling reserves to purchase food, or even to use their own ships to import on it. In the end, between three and four million men, women and children died in Bengal alone. Many migrated and many others suffered, but survived through malnutrition, disease and more. Churchill went on to blame the famine on the Indians themselves for breeding like rabbits. And during the famine, one of his responses to concerns over the welfare of the Indian people was, why hasn't Gandhi died yet? This is just one example of the horrible things Churchill had played a part in inflicting on India. He was vocal about the partition of India, which led to the deaths of up to 2 million people, made many racist remarks about Indians, Hinduism, Islam and more. This is best summed up by the words and sentiments of Churchill himself. As he once said, I hate Indians, they are a beastly people with a beastly religion. These are just a few of the examples of the negative impacts of Churchill's leadership and actions in general. He also was to blame, at least in part, for staging a coup d'etat of the democratically elected governments of both Iran and Guyana, placing the House of Saud on the throne of Saudi Arabia, urging South Africa to strip black people of their voting rights, and much, much more. His actions affected not just those in the empire because of their country, but also because of their social standing and other parts of their identity, such as disability, etc. Churchill, along with being a racist, was a raging classist. He did not like the working class, despite what his aforementioned policies would have you believe. He argued that 100,000 degenerate Britons should be forcibly sterilised, and that for tramps and wastrels, there ought to be a proper labour colony where they could be sent. He also claimed the genocide of the Native Americans and the Aboriginal peoples wasn't wrong, saying that he would not admit that a great wrong had been done to the Red Indians and the black people of Australia. He did not hate the idea of fascism, even calling Mussolini a Roman genius. He was also a strong advocate for the use of chemical weapons against the Kurds and Afghans, even stating, I am strongly in favour of using poisoned gas against uncivilised tribes. Churchill also supported a bill in 1910 to forcibly sterilise those with learning disabilities and mental illnesses. He was an avid believer in eugenics, the ideology Hitler also subscribed to. In all consciousness, politically at least, the ideas and beliefs of Winston Churchill and of Adolf Hitler were not too dissimilar. Churchill is a complicated figure. He did both good and bad. The problem is that nobody ever talks about the bad. Churchill is widely regarded as the best Briton to ever live. A man that stood tall and fought to save Britain from the grasp of Nazi Germany when all hope was lost. But many others regard him as a cutthroat, cruel and callous colonialist who subscribed to racist, classist and generally abhorrent ideologies. But it is only through questioning the decisions, actions and words of historical figures that we can gain an accurate insight into their lives and their legacies. And that is why we need to put history on trial.